We are back. It is the month of February. Automatic college basketball podcast. We are less than 40 days from Selection Sunday on the men's side, and so it is going to be heating up. And then obviously with the women's side, we're coming down to the wire this last month in February, right before March. And this is when all of the excitement happens. And this is when you start seeing separation, Steffi. We've talked about it. And you also start seeing that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Because <laughs> last week we were here debating on the men's side, <laughs> you know, should there be any debate between Alabama and Purdue? And we felt that Alabama was the top team in the country. And Steffi, this is what I love as we're texting o- over the weekend. And you send me the screenshot of the Alabama score against Oklahoma. And then you put, quote, I quit. And that's exactly <laughs> how it's summed up that you know, what in the hell is going on? You can't predict this, but this is what we love about college basketball and obviously about sports. But still, Steffi, I mean, how surprising was that with Alabama, obviously one of the top teams in the country? And again, we were debating it. Should they be the number one overall team? And they looked like they had the resume based on just how they've played in the SEC, winning you know seven games by an average margin of 21 points but they lay a complete egg against Oklahoma. So I don't know if it's more of just a truly bad performance from Alabama or was Oklahoma up to the challenge. And we saw Oklahoma get another win after that Alabama victory. But that was embarrassing for Nate Oates in Alabama. And then what did they do? They come back and beat Vanderbilt last night, 101-44. to So again, what the hell do we know? I, I'm, I'm lost, Steffi. Well, I uh, was talking to Pat Bradley, SEC Network analyst, um, just yesterday about this because I said, you know, PB, you and I have gone back and forth on Alabama being a really consistent, you know, potentially the best team out of the SEC, maybe Tennessee. Um, But he said, we've got to keep in mind the amount of freshmen Nate Oates kind of relying on that they're still a very young team. And what was interesting was that Coach Oates, after the game, after that loss to Oklahoma, he said, we're not, we, we have not been playing well. So I guess we don't know what the hell we're talking about because to me, I thought <laughs> Alabama was playing really well. Yes. <laughs> but he's obviously, he's, he sees it every day. He sees practice. Maybe he knew it was coming, you know, but it is still a young team. They are still a young team with some veteran players surrounding that nucleus. Um, so I, you know, it, that the big 12 SEC challenge, the SEC just got mauled. I mean, there were some good upsets, you know, obviously, um, I don't know which one uh, stood out to you, but I thought the Missouri game taken down Iowa state. I like Missouri a lot. I like Kobe Brown. I like Kobe Brown a lot. I like what, uh, coach Gates is doing there. They're a fun team to watch. Um, and, and, and on the flip side of that, Tennessee, taking care of business against Texas in a really good environment. You know, I thought that that was um, kind of a statement. Hey, everyone's talking about Alabama. Don't forget about Tennessee. And I know that they're kind of finally healthy for, for Rick Barnes, finally getting everybody back and playing much better than maybe earlier in the year. Uh, What what did you think? What was your takeaway from that big 12 
agreed that I think is showcasing that the Big 12, in my opinion, I think they're the best conference in college basketball on the men's side right now, just from top to bottom, just how strong they can play. They're physical throughout the entire conference. And I think we saw some of that, even with Kansas going to Kentucky. I felt Kansas was a much more physical team. Obviously, they are able to snap their three-game losing streak there in Rupp Arena. But I was a surprise with Missouri taking down Iowa State. Iowa State's been playing really well. And just knowing that that was one of the the lone bright spots for the SEC outside of obviously the the Tennessee win, which from my standpoint, I know people can talk about Purdue or Alabama. Don't sleep on Tennessee and Rick Barnes because as we've talked about, they're so good defensively. And if they can just get some things together offensively, they're going to be one of the top teams in all of college basketball to win a national championship with Rick Barnes. It's just how consistent can they be offensively? And again, you know they're going to shut you down defensively. And I think there is a little bit of that bulletin board material, that rat poison, as Nick Saban would say, that Rick Barnes, he's enjoying hearing about how good Alabama is and just flying under the radar, Tennessee, just letting everybody else you know, do their thing. And he just continues to showcase how talented his team can be. And especially Texas is playing really well considering their scenario. And Rodney Terry, you got to give him a lot of credit. They're the interim head coach. And is he vying for an opportunity to get that interim tag removed and be the full-time head coach? I don't know if that'll happen, but you got to give him props for – the turmoil that they've been with the Chris Beard situation and getting fired midseason like that. So you got to give uh, Texas props for that. But Tennessee is playing really well right now. And I'm interested from your standpoint too, the SEC Big 12 Challenge, how they have it sandwiched in the middle of of conference play for both of these teams. You see the ACC Big 10 Challenge, but that's much earlier in the season. So this is relatively yeah. late in all aspects. And, you know, I wonder how that plays into the coaches and the players, at knowing that you're taking a break from conference play, but they're such big games. It's really for the fans. I mean, it's really for TV yes, money. That's a good point. You know, it, I, I think that's really what it's about um, exposure for your team. You know, maybe a lot of people don't watch Iowa State on the regular, but, you know, they'll have an opportunity for, you know, Missouri, Iowa State game, you know, just maybe more access to teams that um, maybe the nation doesn't get to watch as much. But I think it's definitely just TV money. And I, I think next year they're moving to the SEC ACC challenge. Um, yes, that's right. I don't, I, it, it's, you know, I, just from the women's side, uh, UConn playing Tennessee smack dab in the middle of their season. And they'll play South Carolina too. You know, you know, that's, I have to give a lot of props to Gino Ariema for doing that because, yes. and and honestly, Kelly Harper and, and Don Staley for right in the middle of conference play, throwing a Monday, Tuesday game against a top 10 a- opponent. So it's kind of, you know, that's kind of what both coaches or, or coaches for the big 12 teams and the SEC teams have to do. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's all, it's, it's, it's a good measuring stick for what, which conferences, you know, I think the big 12 is, is better but, but I kind of want to go back to the SEC because we talked about Alabama last year or last week, Tennessee this week. I got to know what you think about Nick Smith Jr. Arkansas, <laughs> um, the must bus, He's he usually has his teams playing really well in February. 
yep. heading into March. That's where they make their runs. I'm listening to Jimmy Dykes last night, and he's talking about Nick Smith in 10 days might come back. But Fran Fraschilla did a game, and he said he's not going to come back. He's going to get ready for the NBA. Obviously, Arkansas fans did not want to hear that. I have another source that says that's close to the to the family that said if he could play, he wants to play. So if if we're talking a matter of 10 days and they get Nick Smith back, Nick Smith Jr. back, you know, we're talking a lottery pick kind of player. You know, of does course. that mean Arkansas is all, is all of a sudden there it's the three of them, those Alabama, Tennessee, then Arkansas. Can Arkansas make a run? I, I've just got my eye on them because if they get him back, watch watch out. That's right. You know what the must bus can do. Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting because as we talked about, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. I was listening to a broadcast with Fran Frischilla also, and he even mentioned, he's like, Yeah, you know, thanks a lot, Alabama. You made me look like a fool because I felt that you were the best team. So it's not just us, it's some of the guys that live and breathe even more so some of this uh college basketball. And so it's interesting that you've got now these two camps, you know, trying to figure out what's going to happen with Nick Smith Jr. Obviously, just an amazing talent uh, there on the court, and it's a tough loss that Arkansas does not have him right now. And knowing that, uh, you know, they started SEC play 1-5 in this season, and can they rebound? I'm curious, even if he comes back, what type of impact can he have? What do they look like? And, you know, yeah. so what type of impact can he have just this late in the season? And is he going to be – in game shape, is he going to be, you know, have that touch? You know, there's obviously a lot of things that uh, come with as you play throughout the season, as you know, Steffi. I mean, you start getting a better groove, the team chemistry, and all of that. And will that disrupt things? And there can be a plus or a minus. And so it'll be very interesting to see if he does. But we know he's an amazing talent and uh, for sure is going to see him uh, there in the NBA. Well, I, you know, we, 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 we've talked Big 12, we talked SEC, let's talk dominance. And I think it, we got to talk about Zach Eady. Uh, I, he's my national player of the year on the men's side, uh, you know, dropping 22-13. The way that he's leading Purdue, I think Purdue now is the clear number one. And just the consistency with which he plays, the dominance of, of night in, night out, what he, what he can do, I think to me, it's clear cut. Maybe I'm missing some that you want to add in. I think Zach Eady has been the best from start to finish. Um, but on the men's side, would you agree right now, Zach Eady, just kind of the clear cut favorite? It's not even close. Yes. I mean, especially after the dominating performance against Michigan State, uh, 38 points, 13 rebounds, three assists, three steals, and a block and no turnovers. That is an impressive stat line right there when you consider just, again, I know he's 7'4", so he's going to be a dominating force just from his size, but he might lack some of the finesse and the athleticism, but you just can't stop him. And that's what's, you know, right now, he has been the anchor for Purdue and just his evolution over the past several years under Matt Painter. Remember, Purdue was unranked coming into the season. And now we're saying they're the best team in the country. And obviously it's hard to argue that because of what they've been able to do out on the court. But there's also, you have to look, the reason is Zach Eady. And so I I don't think there's anywhere close to looking at any type of 
other player. Maybe Jalen Wilson of Kansas could throw his name in there. He had a big game, obviously, against Kentucky and uh, getting that win uh, for Kansas. But it's almost like you have to say, yeah, any national player of the year, you've got over seven feet and under seven feet. <laughs> you know, you're going to give it to <laughs> Zach Eady because he's over seven feet and maybe Jalen Wilson under seven feet. But this is just interesting here. So uh, pulled up this stat. So Edie is pacing towards a season with at least 775 points, 453 rebounds, and 77 block shots. And according to Sports References Database, only one other player has been able to clear those benchmarks in a single season, and that was David Robinson in 1986. So it's been a long time since we've seen this type of dominant performance from a single player. And I don't think there's any question that he's a runaway for National Player of the Year. And I think he's going to sweep the awards. I think he's going to take all of them, Steffi. And that would be you know, a, a something that we don't see often either from that standpoint. And I'm curious then on the women's side, is there any true separation like that where Zach Eady is head and shoulders above everybody else? On the women's side, I mean, I know you can uh, put the names up there in terms of Leah Boston, Angel Reese, you know, who else would you put up there? And is there a separation like that? We're talking about dominant post players right now. I think Aaliyah Boston on the number one team, just like Zach Eady, uh, she's putting up really good numbers, but she's not putting up numbers, obviously, like 22 and 16, like Zach Eady is, but Angel Reese is. And they're in the number three team for LSU, is the number three team in the country. Handled Tennessee on Monday night. Uh, the whiteout, Kim Mulkey, had 15,000 people in there. I think it's a women's basketball school now. Maybe I'm, maybe it's too soon, but uh, they they were rocking and rolling in there. But I think, I think, Rich, Caitlin Clark has moved into my front runner for National Player of the Year. Oh, okay, yes. That's a name I didn't mention yet. Obviously, I should. My goodness. It's, you know, they rely so heavily on her. And she just continues, you know, everybody is throwing just about the kitchen sink at her to try and guard her. Kind of similar to what Aaliyah Boston and Angel Reese see, but Caitlin Clark's ability to score, she the way that she rebounds and she can uh, pass the basketball. I mean, she's almost at a triple-double every game. I mean, she misses it by like mm-hmm. two rebounds, two assists. I mean, she's very close, like Sabrina Ionescu, you know, where yeah. Sabrina was obviously close to putting up triple doubles almost every single game. So I think AZ Fudd, Caitlin Clark, Aaliyah Boston, Angel Reese, those were kind of my people I was watching. AZ Fudd of UConn didn't get to play in that Tennessee game. College game day was there. It hurt my heart. Paige Beckers, you know, she was crying in pregame. I I don't, I, I need to talk to my girl, Andrea Carter, who was there. Maybe just the moment, you know, she's missed out on so many moments Paige Beckers has because she's she's been hurt. And you think about a player so visible, signed with Gatorade, first ever college athlete to do like the exposure she has as the best in the game, but she just hasn't been able to see the court. So anyway, that's different topic, different day. But I think right now my front runner would be Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese lurking behind. Aaliyah Boston, they just have 10 starters. I said this on radio yesterday. I said, Dawn has 10 starters. If she doesn't like, she wants to go with this lineup, she can bring in this, this player or this player. <laughs> and they all, they, like, they're just a really, they're just a really freaking good team. 
you know, Kim Mulkey's got eight. UConn's got seven. It, you know, Dawn just has diff- – she just has so many people that Aaliyah, she might not have the biggest numbers, and she'll go with the WNBA and not be double teamed. She'll play one-on-one. There's defensive three seconds. It's totally different, and, and she could play. She can finally play. This year is just not the same, you know. It, 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 she'll have shooters around her in the WNBA. They don't have, you know, the best shooters for South Carolina, but they still win by like 40, 40 points. They do. So I know. I, I just think it's not as clear cut. I'm very, it's, I'm very interested to see how this plays out heading into February, March. Who, who can truly separate? But it's kind of a three way race right now for me. Yeah, no, I, I do like those three, and I think that is very accurate there, and. I, Caitlin Clark is obviously one of those exciting players. Not to say that Aaliyah Boston isn't, but to your point, I mean, she's a post player, so it's a little different. She has to have somebody, you know, feed her the ball. Now, I mean, she does have the skill sets. I mean, I've seen her bring the ball up and and can go on a fast break, but that's not her true skill sets. Where Caitlin Clark, that's she can do all of that, and then she can pull up from twenty eight feet and and bury some threes, and that's what people love, especially as fans, to see the three ball, you know, all of that, the big shots and uh, some of the exciting play. And then the flash. Yes, exactly. And then with Angel Reese, so I, I just love just the bravado that she has. <laughs> you know, you're talking about confidence, talking arrogant. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I, I, you know, you and I talk for the past two years on this podcast. Can we get people? Uh, I'm just going to say it. I don't give a fuck when they go out there. She does not. <laughs> She, they're calling her the Bayou Barbie. She, she yes. will get in your face. She will taunt your ass. She does not give an F about anything. And I, and she backs it up. Like, I think she revels in it. You know, some people try and it messes with their game. Like they'll try to get a little bit, they get all flustered. Angel doesn't flinch. And something for those that listen to this podcast and will watch LSU moving forward as they continue to, I mean, they're, they're undefeated. They're not the number three team in the country. Angel will guard the other team's best player. It can be a guard. It can be a post player. I did their Alabama game. She guarded Brittany Davis, who's a guard. Tennessee, she guarded Rakia Jackson, 3-4. So I t- I, Kim, told, Kim Mulkey told me that Angel just wants to guard the team's best player. It doesn't matter. I thought that was pretty cool because then when they played against Alabama, she's on the wing guarding a guard. Yeah, that's a – I it's mean, cool. to have that as – part of your repertoire as a coach to have somebody that can do that, that versatility, and especially can switch at any position like that. And you're not going to have any type of letdown defensively. I mean, that's a great advantage for Kim Mulkey from that perspective. And yes, I do love watching Angel Reese just again, what she brings to the game. I'm wondering, you know, is she modeling her game after you? I mean, I imagine you were out there and, and you had some of that bravado, right? Talking, talking shit to people out there. Come on, I want to. I, I need to see some of the film of Steffi talking shit to people back in the day. <laughs> you know, Rich, I didn't talk a lot of shit, but I feel like I did like low key stuff to irritate people. Either like a little pushing and shoving, holding onto the ball longer, maybe holding the three point follow through, just subtle <laughs> stuff that pisses people yes. off. Not gonna talk to it, you, but gonna make you. Hate me, regardless. <laughs> yes, exactly. Get in their head. That's part of your game to get in the opponent's head. And I think Angel Reese can can definitely do that. But I think she just goes out there. It's I don't think she's doing it on purpose to get in somebody's head. 
I just think that's her personality, and that's just the way she plays. And she doesn't care at all. She's not going to, you know, uh, make any apologies for it. And I love that uh, uh, about her game, you know, from that perspective. And now you talked about the Tennessee UConn game, and we were also texting uh, last we week in that game. It's like, of course, that UConn is UConn, and then Gino is Gino. <laughs> and if you haven't heard, people. The halftime interview <laughs> with Gino and Holly Rowe. Take a listen right here. And Gino Oriema is with Holly Rowe. Well, Coach Oriema, you told me before the game you couldn't put them on the free throw line or allow second chance points. How do you address that with your team in the half in the locker room? How do I address it? How do I address it? You don't address it. This is what you get when you come down here. The game was called one way and then changed. Nope, nothing else changed. We didn't change. Nothing else changed. Thank you, Coach. Steffi, I don't even know how to describe it. I really don't know how to describe it other than that's just pure gold. That's just pure entertainment in terms of what Gino provides. And we see that from him and just how he doesn't care at all. You know, I was in studio with Nikki Fargus and Alyssa Lang, and we were watching that game. And it was, we couldn't hear it because we were listening to uh, the game that was on our network. But all of a sudden, we just see Gino screaming. And I'm like, what, 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 hey, guy, what is he saying? Can we turn this up? And so Alyssa Lang pulled it, uh, you know, everyone clips things so quickly that it was already on Twitter. And so we pull it up. And my favorite part is, Holly Rowe asks the question and she starts smiling when he starts to answer. And I was like, I feel like she doesn't know what's about to come her way. And then he just absolutely lets it rip. And that was TV gold. But honestly, I think that if he had any of that energy heading into his locker room, there's no question that UConn was going to come out. They had a bad second quarter. And, you know, I don't, I, obviously Gino said referees. But yes, um, but but to me, you know, that definitely probably fired up his team. I mean, oh, it did. What a great atmosphere, great atmosphere. But she's had some interesting interviews this year between Coach Cal <laughs> and then Gino. But she I know she has good relationships with both coaches. So, like, you know, if there's a pre if there's a relationship coach, you know, just like Saban did with Maria Taylor years ago that went viral. Well, Nick Saban and Maria Taylor had a relationship. Not that it was okay that he kind of yelled at her, but you know, they they I'm sure he called her and was like, "My bad." Um, you know, I'm sure Gino called Holly and was like, "Hey, you know, in the heat of the moment." <laughs> but it was awesome. I, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, more, more passion and uh, some entertainment on the women's side. We just been talking about Angel, Caitlin Clark. Um, I know you want to get to Cameron Brink at Stanford. She plays with a lot of attitude with the triple double yes, that she, she recently had ten blocks. Um, she would she could get herself into the Player of the Year conversation. Maybe not this year, but next year. Her biggest issue has always been foul trouble. Yeah, and you can see with the triple double that she put up. If she stays out there, I mean, she is uh, yeah. <laughs> she's a force. That's right. She's a force. <laughs> So it's her triple-double, 16 points, 11 rebounds, 10 blocks, and only the second triple-double in Pac-12 history with blocks included as part of the triple-double. And I obviously, we know triple-doubles are hard to come by anyway. Uh, yes, Sabrina, she could get them. Caitlin Clark can get them. 
But when you're getting triple doubles with blocks, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, I, you know, Stanford to me is a Final Four team. And when, when Cameron is playing like that, you, you, you got to watch out. I mean, they, that's, a, that's what makes them a national title team. I'm, I'm just excited to continue uh, watching her grow as a player. The, the triple doubles c- could continue. If she's out there, she's doing I mean, she's got a volleyball background. That's why she can block shots so well. She's so mm-hmm. long, 6'4", six, 6'5". But just a just kind of a, a special player, and I'm I'm excited about uh, February. What beholds on both the men's and women's side? It's kind of been uh, I, I said this the other day. Uh, South Carolina consistency in college basketball seems like a superpower. South Carolina has been the most consistent team so far. They just continue they yes. continue to win. They've had tougher opponents than any than LSU. LSU is undefeated, but South Carolina has been tested more. Yes, they have. But everyone is talking about February 12th, South Carolina, <laughs> LSU. Can they both remain undefeated? Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. I'm in a wedding, Rich. I know. I'm I still can't wedding. believe that. You got to get out of Kill that me. wedding. It's family. I know. It's family, though. You got to be there. <laughs> You're going, are you going to have your phone <laughs> watching? <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be awesome. I can't you know I can't wait for that. Um, I think South Carolina plays UConn. Before LSU, got to squeeze in a top ten team before we play another team. Like it's crazy. Yeah, and see, and I love these teams will go out and these coaches will go out and play these big games because again, it's all about obviously getting your team prepared for what you might see come March and March Madness. But also, just from a perspective, we even talked about it a little bit with the SEC Big Twelve Challenge, how it's sandwiched in the middle of conference play, bring some excitement for the fans. Bring some of these big games for the fans. That's what they want to see. You want to see the best play against the best. And I love that they do that in, in the regular season. So I, I, I'm excited you know, to, to see some of those games. And then what a great Sunday then. You've got some great college basketball and then follow that up with the um, Super Bowl. And it also frustrates me though to a certain degree that once again, football tries to interject itself into college basketball season as we just heard news earlier today that Tom Brady has re- officially retired once again and he's completely done. And I'm like, Tom, we're in the middle of college basketball season. <laughs> Save your news until later. <laughs> All I can say is good. Please retire. One, yeah. the, you could argue great, greatest of all time. Probably should have retired last year. Yes. Um you know, I, I enjoyed his message. I wasn't, I'm glad that he just went ahead and did it. So we didn't have to wait three months, four months to figure out is Tom Brady going to play or not? I want to bring this up. This is not basketball related. This is not basketball related. It's NFL related. I just have to get this off my chest. You know, yesterday or last time we did a recording, I had to get stuff off my chest. So I'm, I might make this a regular thing. Oh, I do. I like this. Chiefs, Steffi gets it off her chest. Chiefs, Let's go. All right. Chiefs, Bengals. I'm watching this game on the plane. Holy shit, man. The second half. I'm listening to Tony Romo talk about constantly how Patrick Mahomes has been doubted, has been counted out, has been slighted. And I'm just wondering what the hell is Tony Romo talking about? Because I mean, I follow the NFL. I don't, I'm not a diehard every Sunday. I'm watching the NFL, but I can I'm smart enough to know when I'm on 
I'm watching television and Patrick Mahomes is on two out of the three commercials uh, that I'm watching and that everyone knows how talented he is. So I'm just curious why we have to pretend that people are slighted to create a, a fake edge. Yes, and I'm like, you, you played on edge. one leg. You've played on one. Yes. This kind of happened with Georgia football. People thought that some of the players were saying everyone counted us out. No one was counting you out. You were the favorite from the beginning to the end, but whatever you got to tell yourself. But I just, I was, I couldn't believe how much Tony Romo was just harping that the Cincinnati mayor said something. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is like one of the best. We everyone says he's the best. I'm like, what? He's not under. He's not being counted out. What are we doing? It's all about creating drama, lady. You know that they have to be able to do that. Yes, and maybe it was counted out because the high ankle sprain. But yeah, career wise, maybe initially. But he's been to five AFC championships. I mean, this guy has proven his worth. I mean, I don't think we're in that point. And I do remember Kirby Smart also talking about after winning the national championship game against TCU and that blowout and how people had doubted Georgia and that some people said that Georgia was going to five and seven. I'm like, who the hell said Georgia was going to go five and seven? That is just total BS. Nobody ever said that. It's just like, I, maybe it's just coaches or whatever you got to do to create this element of like, I'm an underdog because it, I'm circling all this back here because Kim Mulkey before facing Tennessee, she told the media, well, we're not supposed to beat Tennessee because we were picked third in the conference. Tennessee was picked second. And Kelly Harper says, that's really funny. <laughs> uh, that <Yeah>. we're, They're <laughs> supposed to lose to us. <laughs> But creating this like narrative edge and I'm like, uh, what am I missing? But, you know, I just couldn't, I, I was like so flabbergasted and and people can love or hate Tony Romo, but just going on and on about, you know, he he felt so slighted. And I was like, if I'm Patrick Mahomes and I wake up and look in the mirror every day, I know I'm good. I know I'm good. (laughs) I won that game on one leg. <laughs> oh, no question from that standpoint. And I do need to also just mention congratulations as we had given congratulations to Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy for breaking the men's college basketball all time career record for three pointers, breaking Fletcher McGee's record. But we also saw it on the women's side. Oklahoma Sooners guard Taylor Robertson broke the Division I women's basketball career record for three pointers. With her first attempt this past Saturday against Iowa State, it was her 498th three-pointer, passing the mark set by Ohio State Buckeye star Kelsey Mitchell, who had set that record from 2014 to 2018. And so Robinson would finish 6 of 8 and 8 from 10 from the field for 25 points in that game, but it uh, wasn't enough as uh, the Sooners did fall to Iowa State uh, in that battle of teams uh, which uh, came in tied with the Texas Longhorns for first place in the Big 12 at that time. But fantastic job right there for Taylor Robinson breaking the career record for three-pointers on the women's side. So got to give her her flowers, right? Yeah. Uh, Steph Curry paid her a visit, too, um, after yes, breaking that record. I saw that. Which was really cool. He, he follows women's college basketball. So, again, all the haters out he there, does. suck it. <laughs> <laughs> you tell him, Steffi. And that's how we have to end episode 24 with Steffi saying, suck it right there. We love it. <laughs> but as always, 
We appreciate you listening and don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. This is Automatic.